Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. Uh, before we begin, we want to put out a quick content warning on the topics we'll be discussing. Some of them are definitely triggering, and of course, it is all mature. So please keep that in mind as you enjoy today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Emotional Duct Tape. I'm Corey. I'm Jamie. And I am really, I, I don't even know how we're going to get through this episode today because um, I'm, I'm going uh... to lose it and that's why. Uh, but first, before I get into that ominous voice, Jamie, how are you today? I'm doing well. It's a big day. It's a very big day for our country. It's This episode's going to air like two months from now, but it's inauguration day. We get a new president today. Um, that's really good. How, how are you feeling? You feeling good? I feel the Mormon fuzzies. I just want unity. So. I I will freely admit that I openly wept during um, Kamala Harris's uh, uh, being sworn in. That was like beautiful to me. It, very beautiful. It was so special. Um, but yes, today is a interesting episode. Um, it's it's a family affair today because I have a family member on my podcast and I have to disclaimer ahead of time that it's going to get wild. I don't know where it's going to go. Um, but if I have to pause myself because I'm laughing so hard that I'm in tears, we know why. Please welcome to the podcast, my cousin, Justin Holcomb. Well, hello. Hi, Justin. How are Hi, you? Hi, Justin. Hi. Very nice to meet you, Jamie. Likewise. I've only heard your voice as I've listened to, uh, I've only actually heard the first uh, podcast. Um, but uh, yeah, hi, my name is Justin. I'm Corey's cousin. I raised him. Uh, yeah, in a way, yes. I mean, someone's... I, I didn't. I didn't. You're what? You're five years older than me or seven? I forget. I am 39. So you're six. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so leaving a six-year-old to raise a baby, that just spells hilarious right there. Well, I was raised by a bloodhound. <laughs> All That's Corey cool. was cereal. <laughs> yeah. I, it was, yeah. So... Um, Justin, Justin is been my cousin my whole life, but Justin has a very Wait, about that. really, really nice. <laughs> Maybe not after the after today's episode, but yeah, we'll we'll see for your we whole got... life up until now. So Justin is sober, but my whole goal this episode is to see if I can make him relapse. So I'm going to, uh, I Great. I say this I say this joking. Jesus, <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, well, this is going to be a weird episode, people. I'm telling you, like Justin and I have a weird dynamic. We we give each other a lot of crap, and but he knows I love him. I know he loves me. At least I think he does. He told my mom that, but she's dead now, so I can't verify anything anymore. You can't, um, guys. You can't see it, but because uh, it's not a visual medium. But Corey's actually wearing a rehab is for quitters T-shirt. I, I don't <laughs> I don't know if that was directed at me. Um, I feel personally attacked, and I would just like to point that out. Carry on. Jamie's in the rehab capital of, of the U.S., so she got me the T-shirt. She sent it over to me, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to wear this because I don't see Jamie that often. So, um, But, yeah, so Justin and I um, have very similar experiences in the sense that we both grew up um, with moms who clung very tight to religion. And both of our moms are dead, actually, of the same disease, which is something unique. Um, disappointment. But- they died of disappointment. <laughs> In their, I didn't know in their, in their firstborn children. I didn't know that your mom passed from the same disease, Justin. Yeah, his, his mom is my mom's sister. So, um, and actually, and I think we've said this in the podcast before, but 
Uh, my mom, his mom, our grandfather, our great uncle, and or our great uncle and probably one our, of our great, uncles. Our great grandfather uh, who hung himself. Uh, you know, by the note, we we probably should give a a bit of a content warning, uh, not just about the humor. Uh, oh, it's, it's going to be there. Don't worry. Okay, I'm, good. I'm going to record ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. We're going. Okay, good. Because I we're mean, gonna... the, the whole podcast uh, is a, is a major trigger in a lot of yeah, ways. I mean, what we're hoping to do that's is fine. That's fine. Is provide some support and um, relief for grief, but I think you know it can also be a little triggering at times. Yeah. So our grandfather that hung himself, uh, they the, he they believe, or at least I've heard that he started to have symptoms of of what seems to be ALS too, because it it runs in the family. So um, no, they didn't die of disappointment in me and Corey. Uh, they they died of a real neurological disease. But but I will say here though too that Justin and Mai's response to things like how we joke, you're going to hear a lot of this episode. That's just that's one of our coping mechanisms to our grief. Um, as it's also our, our cynical humor was born out of these experiences in life. So it's all relevant. It's all part of the, the big picture. So um, anyways, Justin, I'm going to let you just start talking about your life and how depressing and sad it is. So go ahead. Awesome. Well, first of all, you guys did say at the beginning episode, you know, it's January 20th. It's inauguration day. It's a big day. Did you say 20th? I, 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 I <laughs> yeah, I did. You're going to point out, you're going to point out everything I say wrong. What I can't edit out, I will, yes. Awesome. Awesome. You'd be like, no, actually, it was your stepfather who abused you, not your real father. So I just want to point that out. Thank you, Corey, for the correction. Well, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen today. This is what I was going to say. January 20th, you know, there, there's obviously been some violence and some things like that. And when I realized that Corey wanted me to record this podcast on Election Day, I realized that he picked me to be what could possibly be the last podcast before the world ended. And I understand why he picked me <laughs> because he's like, if the world's going to end, who do we need to hear from? How about a 39 year old alcoholic who's only been sober for 15 months? That sounds amazing. So it makes, Not only. It makes <laughs> no, no, but yeah, so I, I can get started. Uh, um, there's a lot to, uh, I didn't really make notes, so uh, I'm just going to kind of give broad strokes, and then uh, I'm going to let you guys ask me questions or whatever, uh, but but I'll say this, the, the, the thing that's really like laying on my head and heart right now has been um, obviously my own journey, and uh, last fall, I did go to rehab for, for alcoholism, and uh, the the thing that I have, the thing that's again been weighing on my, my head and heart has been um, when you go through trauma and you're experiencing grief, uh, a lot of times you can really embrace uh, denial rooted um, in positivity, like uh, toxic positivity and things like that. So it's kind of like something bad happens to you and you want to rush to show the world in yourself that, it, that you're okay. And it's kind of like, Oh, this trauma happened to me, but don't worry, everything's fine. I'm over this breakup. I'm dating the next person, or, or nope, I, I've been sober for two months. I can get a job. I can go back to work. You know, or people, you know, people rush to to get married and have kids. They rush to move on in relationships. They rush to make big life choices. As it's like a desperate attempt to prove to everybody that they're that they're okay, and more importantly, to prove to themselves. And that's what I did for about 20 years is I, uh, 
Um, I, I looked for ways to avoid taking the time to heal from the things that happened to me. So that's kind of, that's the main thing that that's kind of in, in my head. So you guys can think about that while I tell my story. Well, I think that's a really good perspective too, because we see uh, most of our stories, I think all of our stories at this point have always been about um, the resilience and the positivity and pushing yourself forward, but we don't talk enough about the toxic positivity. and, and Yeah. That. And that's why, that's why I'm not here to, to rain on uh, Jamie's parade, just Corey's, but like, <laughs> I, I, you know, but that, but that was, you know, part of, uh, part of overcoming addiction, um, on a daily basis is, uh, making sure that you're not in denial about things and nothing can, can, uh, put you in denial quicker than the illusion of progress. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I know Corey's still a person of faith. Um, I'm, I'm an atheist, uh, but, uh, so if I, if I do point to religion, you know, if I critique that and things like that, I'm obviously not personally attacking you guys, but like a, a really good example, whether it's uh, someone who goes through a religious conversion or someone who goes through rehab, it's like, you know, 20 years of trauma, you convert to Christianity and all of a sudden it's like, I'm a new creation in Christ. Everything is okay. And it's like, hold on a second. You know, you, we still got some stuff to deal with. Or it's like, I read this one book. I read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I know everything that's wrong with me. The uh, the the acknowledgement that there's something wrong with you and the access to the knowledge to make yourself better is not the same as applying the knowledge. So, sure. you know, and that's, that's, and I'm not pointing that at you. That's been me for about 20 years now. And, you know, I see that a lot. Um, like I said, I, I am... Uh, here in the center of the rehab community. So I've met a lot of people um, who have, have, you know, gone through it. And what I have noticed a lot is that they just choose this new thing to latch onto. And then that becomes a new form of addiction, whether it's a new relationship or, um, you know, religion or um, a job or the gym. And, I would love to hear your perspective on finding a balance and all of those things and also accepting the, the negative emotions that, that come up. Sure. So, so I just kind of wanted to state like my, that's like more of my hypothesis or thesis statement before I give you the broad strokes of my life. Okay. So it was 1981. It was a, it was a warm, warm summer evening, July 19th. Um, no, so I was born uh, in the early 80s, uh, so I'm one of those weird in-between people, uh, analog childhood, digital adulthood. Um, it's uh, my, uh, again, we're going to move fast here. So my mother was 23 years old when she had me. She got pregnant by a married man. He was a DJ at a local bar and fell head over heels for him. Um, and, it, you know, he promised her he'd leave his wife and all that, you know, the whole typical thing. Well, my aunt Kelly, Corey's mother told me stories of when my mother was pregnant for me, she, her and my, her and Corey's mom, I don't know why I'm pointing like <laughs> at Corey, this isn't a visual medium folks. Um, so, uh, they would drive and, uh, sit outside, uh, my father's house while he was eating dinner with his family. And my mom would just weep and my aunt would console her. So, I was I was conceived of trauma. Like I'm not trying to be hyperbolic or anything like that, but like from the beginning, it was just toxicity. So 
I'm going to skip over a lot. Mom gives birth to me. There are family rumors that uh, my mom was going to give me up for adoption and that the the people who were adopting me were actually out in the waiting room. But as I've parsed through it more and more, I realize that my mother was probably just pretending that she was going to give me up for adoption to manipulate my grandmother into helping her. Um, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. Like m our family is, uh, is, is a treat and I, I love them to death, but who knows? Supposedly I was supposed to be given up for adoption. I just don't know if it was a veiled threat. I was born and, uh, um, for the first three years of my life, it was just me and my mom. Uh, and my grandparents helped out and Corey's mom would babysit me all the time. Uh, my earliest memories are, uh, am I allowed to just say whatever I want to say, by the way? I, yeah, yeah, no no. <laughs> I, no like, I mean, we're like, we love our moms. We love our family. But okay. They're just realities of our life that okay. are happening here. And this is why, because there are things like, I just, I know you're going to tell better than I can. So, okay. Well, I mean, that's obvious, but that's fine. Yeah. Clearly. So it was me and my mom. And uh, my I, I would say that uh, um, I, I, I used to call it single mom syndrome, but I kind of feel like that might be a little sexist and, and a little oversimplification. But I will say this. I, I definitely saw it in my mother and I got to witness it with Corey's mom, too, is that when at least with our moms, when you have, uh, especially when you give birth to male children, it seemed like there was this weird, like, we became like the number one male relationship in their life. And um, there was a lot of living vicariously throughout my entire life with my mother. And so um, we'll can fast forward just a bit. So if I got a B minus in school, it wasn't oh, my son got a B minus. It was like my mother got a B minus as a mother. She internalized and took everything that I did personally. So, but it also worked the other way too. If somebody was mean to me, they were being mean to her. So there was this weird emotional, I don't want to say emotional incest because that sounds like, like a sexualization of it, but that's not what it is. It's like, I was going to say, we actually, um, our first guest talked about emotional incest. And, uh, so this is like, yeah, this is something that's really, it's, 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 it's nothing abusive, but it's, it's like an emotional, like a mental state. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like uh, Munchausen's. Yeah. Yeah. I like the wizard of us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, just, I'm joking. I, 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 I know what that means by proxy. Um, so so when uh when I was when I was three, my mom married my stepdad. Uh, we moved into my grandparents' garage turned apartment. That was his parents. Um, so again, I'm skipping a lot, but we grew up really poor. Like we never didn't have like we always had ramen noodles and stuff like that, but we were were poor or whatever. Um, our family is very physically abusive. Um very physically abusive and without going into drastic details uh i got the shit beat out of me for the littlest things um you know m mouthing off would get you slapped across the face um but i like kids w w you would take children away from parents from the things and i don't want to speak for Corey, though I, I witnessed some crazy stuff um, with my mom and even experiences that I had with his mom watching me. I got the shit beat out of me by all of my aunts and uncles. And um, it's true. You know, 
and it was um and i can give you um i can give you a, a a perfect example um and i've never actually shared this publicly i've shared this um in like small groups and with friends but when i was in uh fourth grade uh it was winter time. We're all a bunch of us are playing on like the jungle gym, you know, back when it was made out of like rusted metal and razor blades. And, you know, yeah. there was no no safety equipment. Lead um, paint. You, yeah. You only called CPS if if you needed them to take the body away, not to, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, but, uh, you know, someone bet me to spit off this top of the jungle gym on a recess lady. I did hit her in the back. You know, she didn't feel it. She was wearing a winter coat. Boys will be boys. I was being a little shit. Um, another recess lady saw me. I got a 15 minute after school detention. So that's what I did. I was inconsolable the rest of the day because I knew my mother was going to kill me. Um, I wouldn't get off the bus. The bus driver had to walk me to, uh, you know, the front door. My mom asked me what was wrong. I told her what had happened. Um, and I'll pause. And I, I do want to say, I, you know, I've reconciled with my late mother. You know, we've talked about this. I love her. Um, but I'm also very open, you know, to talk about this stuff. So um, so she when I found when she found out I had a 15 minute after school detention, grabs me by the hair and just starts slamming my face into the cupboards as hard as she can. Now, mind you, I am I don't even know what fourth grade would be. Nine. I'm young. Nine. Sure. Um so, you know, eight, nine years old, whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, I've ne I was never that terrified in my life. She did that. Then, you know, slapped me across the face, hit me a bunch of times. But this is where it got kind of cruel, where my best friend, I remember my best friend, Andy, his dad, I worked with menti mentally handicapped kids. Uh, this is an important thing. Um, so Andy called me to make sure I was okay because I was crying so hard on the bus. When I picked up the phone, when, when, when my mom answered, she was like, here, it's your friend, Andy, tell him what you did. And so he's like, are you okay? And I'm sobbing, you know, my face is all swollen up and my mom is screaming through the phone. Tell Andy that unless his dad can prove you're not retarded, sorry for saying the R word, but I'm just quoting her unless, you know, his dad can't, can't, can prove that you are not, you know, the R word, um, I'm going to put you in special ed and you're never going to see your, your family again, click hangs up the phone. So now I'm sobbing being like, and she's like, then she's just calling me, you know, mentally handicapped and stuff like that. You know, I'll say fuck, but I won't say the R word. Um, it's a balance. So <laughs> then the, by the way, this is all happening in like 10 minutes. Then, um, she would she went into my room knocked everything off the shelves um this is the most traumatic part she ripped up all my baseball cards in front of me which oh. by the way that's the one thing that still gets to me like how you you, you know so she ripped up on she disassembled my bed um and like anyways piled everything in the middle of the thing in the middle of my bedroom and said you have two hours to clean it up or you're grounded for the summer, even though it was winter time. I don't know. You're grounded forever. So I'm sobbing. I put the room back together. Two hours later, my mom comes home. It's clean. She starts sobbing because now her temper has shut off. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I bought you new baseball right. cards. I didn't mean to do that. So now yep. I'm consoling her about what yep. she did to me. And I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway. And 
and I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go through a lot of stuff um, because I know we only have like an hour and a half or whatever, and I you know don't want to monopolize all your time. But but that I wanted to at least take one real traumatic childhood thing, and that wasn't a one off. You know, that wasn't like a rare experience. Feel free I, to interrupt me. I, I was going to say, Jamie, real quick. Yeah, these stories. I in my in my episode, I was I was much. Uh, my mom found Jesus. Like, if you look at it from when I was born to when she found Jesus, versus the time when Ma, Justin's mom found Jesus. Like after he was born, there's a difference. But like, yeah, there's these stories. Every one of my cousins, I mean, I'm sure could tell you a story similar to this. What were you saying, Jamie? I'm sorry. Oh, well, um, I, you know, I, I'm going completely off grid with, with this one because, um, we, we are, we're already off grid and I'm so about it. Um, so I have a question cause so I, I've, I talked about a little bit in my episode as well of like how you can still love somebody even if they've <laughs> treated you badly. Um, and you had said, you know, I, you've reconciled and, and, and um, we're able to, I mean, I don't know if, if it was forgive her for what she did, but um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. One of my favorite quotes that I've only learned in the last couple of years is by the uh, philosopher uh, Sartre. I think it's Jean-Paul Sartre. Um, he says, freedom is what you do with what was done to you. And I, I think that that is, um, I think that that is, uh, I don't need to elaborate on that because I, I think that that statement speaks for itself. Um, there is, it's interesting too, cause I, I had mentioned toxic positivity and I'm not talking about pretend forgiveness, but I, I think, and I just had this conversation yesterday uh, with a, with a house guest of mine. Um, my, I think that my mom did her best. And I know that's something that we, that we throw out there a lot just to say, uh, and and I, I think it's very clear that some people are not doing their best. But if you look at the totality of the experience, and not everybody has the privilege or the opportunity or the bandwidth to do that. Some people don't even want to deal with their own trauma, let alone somebody else's. And that that's not a character flaw, by the way. Trauma is hard to deal with. It's not a Absolutely. competition. Everyone has a different threshold, you know. Um, you could be, you could be, you could have more PTSD from a less intense event than somebody else. You know, it's not a competition and everyone has their own thresholds. All that being said, if you look at what my mother did to me, that's what was done to her, but what she went through was worse. So, uh, for example, when my mother was in high school and she fucked up, um, she got caught like smoking pot or something like that. Uh, my grand, our, mine and Corey's grandfather took everything she owned in the front yard and lit it on fire for the neighbors to see and burned it. Um, wow. when, just uh, like that joint <laughs> and, and so it doesn't, her trauma doesn't negate mine, but it at least allows me to have some perspective on and then if you go back to that, my grandfather was actually, I, I said that our great grandfather had hung himself. Our grandfather was the one who found him hanging. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a common story that our grandfather, our mother's dad, didn't speak for like five years after that. So when you look at the big picture, 
whether it's why was my coworker rude to me? You know, oh, she had a bad day. I now get the context. I'm not trying to equate that to scale, but it's like, why was my mother explosively angry and felt the need to lash out at me physically when she was trying to correct my course, but then also need me to console her? Well, just take a look at her history. And the, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where it's like what she did was wrong. It was shitty behavior. It's inexcusable. It was abusive and it's, it's left scars and wounds that I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life. All of that being said, when it comes to, um, redemption and connection and, and trying to forgive and letting someone and, and wanting to be a part of someone's redemption story, even if that person is your abuser in one way or another, you have to give them this, the space to be better. And the truth is my mom grew as a human being. My mom became better. She became less angry. She became uh, less sad and depressed. And, uh, and I know I said I was an atheist, but just to kind of throw it out there in the Bible, there's the parable of the sower where, um, in long story short, three different dudes are given three amounts of money and the, and what they do with it determined how much they were rewarded. The whole point of the parable is it doesn't matter what you have. It's what you do with what you were given. And that's why I said the Sark quote at the beginning. So the question is, is my mother was handed a certain lot in life. What did she do with what she was given? Well, she did some shitty things, but if you look at the arc of her life, you see redemption story and it's up to me to help her grow by forgiving her for those things, not to be in denial, not to facilitate it, not to enable her, but to, um, yeah. And, and it's tricky because physical abuse is different than sexual assault. It's different than just being angry. It's different than physical abuse. It, you know, so for, I was able to. I was able to see what my mother did with what she was given and she was doing her best. And sometimes her best wasn't good enough for me, but it was still her best. And at least that's how I perceive it. I don't know if that answered the question. Um, yes. It's just a really, really important perspective. Yeah. One thing I'll say too is, um, you know, it, there is a sad thing, sad reality that our moms um, who grew up, in the same household you know they had the same crazy parents and the same you know a lot of the same obstacles and a lot not everything but everything but a lot of things that um they could never fully reconcile or heal completely or not not heal completely but um get to the point where they could acknowledge and realize even more so and even do the work to heal themselves and now people like justin and i are left to to heal ourselves but also to break the cycle i mean Justin, Justin, you're not a dad. I, I don't know if you're ever going to have kids one day. You might, I don't know. You have to find a willing girl. I don't know. You can't, you can't prove that. Um, <laughs> Wait, they, no, never mind. Edit. They, 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 <laughs> they won't acknowledge it. But, you know, for me as a father, um, I, I talk about this before too with, with the episode I was on on the other podcast, but being a dad and when my son makes me mad, wanting to go to the Holcomb zone, as I call it, where I want to, you know, throw him up against the wall, you know, or scream in his face or drop dirty, you know, swear at him because that's how I was raised. And it's not a choice, by the way. I want to I, I want to I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like in your defense, I'm a, I'm not a parent. I'm a dog owner, but I, I or or I've seen it manifest. 
you have to choose to not do it. It's your default mechanism. And I want to, I just want to point that out. Like, because it's, it's not, you say, I want to do that, but it's not that you want to do that. It's that's just who you are in that moment. It's, you have, it's, yeah, sorry. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's where your mind goes when you have somebody who, you know, and this is true for anybody who really has trauma or triggered experiences like that, where that's the only, that's the only reality, you know, and so for you to, and then it's, it's that cognitive effort to say, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to make the choice. I'm going to do better than my mom or dad did. And it's, it's, it's hard. It, it's hard every day. Like there are times where I tell my wife, I'm like, okay, I'm walking away because I know if I let myself get any more invested in the situation, the ugly gets worse. So. I wrote, I wrote a song for you and Harrison called just walk away, Corey. <laughs> I'd like to play it for you right now. No, um, um, but, uh, uh, do you want, do you want me to, to keep going with the, with the story a little bit or I, I would love to have you keep going with the story okay. because yeah, I mean, there's, I, there's a lot to unpack and don't yes. worry if we go over it. But we'll these, just... these tangents are huge. Two part. Uh, like they're two really parter, good. Two no. <laughs> um, no, uh, so, um, no, but I'm really, I'm really glad you, you asked that question because I, it, it's easy keep, and interrupt me at any time. Um, well, uh, I just, you know, I really wanted not to make right sure. this second. <laughs> oh my I really, god! I just, I really wanted to make sure that people that are listening hear that. Both, both of you out there listening, <laughs> right? Yes. Hi, Uncle Mike. Hi, Char. <laughs> Hi, Corey. Under a different username, so he can increase his downloads. Jim Sorry. Smelt. I may Hi, or may not have downloaded all of our episodes Hi. today myself. Hi, Jamie's <laughs> boyfriend, who's pretending to listen but really isn't. No, he doesn't care. He's never listened to the podcast. Yeah. Sounds like a healthy relationship. We're anyway, breaking up. So, no, no, that's great. I'm glad he supports your dreams. No, right. So, he supports them by like sitting over there and being quiet. Oh, nice. Okay. No, he's working actually. Nice. Um. So, uh, where, where were we? Oh, abuse. Yeah. No, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. So, so, you know, I'm consoling my mom and, and, uh, that was just a, that was just a part of life. And, um, so we ended up moving out of my grandparents garage apartment thingy. We, you know, uh, I ended up converting to Christianity on my own at a very young age, watching out of all things, the 700 club, on television. I was a weird kid. I used to watch televangelists for fun. I think I just, you know, dude yelling on stage, getting attention. I'm like, I want attention. All you got to do is yell on stage. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> and stay tuned because there's going to be lots of yelling on stage uh, in this story. Um, but so I became on my own, you know, because both of our moms at that point had kind of walked away from their faith uh, that they were raised in or whatever. I became super Jesus-y throughout all of uh, middle school and high school. Um, I, uh, But, you know, eventually I got too big for my mom to beat the shit out of. And also, I think because I had embraced Jesus so much she kind of let the church raise me. And I, and I want to, I want to point something out. And this is something that I, I've only recently unpacked. And, uh, um, in that is the, the type of Christianity that I used to embrace was a very charismatic fire and brimstone, Pentecostal fiery preacher, you know, Jesus is coming back at any moment. And, you know, 
everyone's going to hell kind of a thing. And the reason, one of the things that I had noticed and uh, it made, it made uh, our moms make more sense to me. I, I refer, even when I'm not talking to Corey, I refer to my moms and that's my mom, Kelly and, and Wendy, you know, Kelly being Corey's mom, my aunts. Um, it, my moms made sense to me more because here's the thing. Uh, think about the type of abuse that I just described. I love you, so I have to hit you. You know what I mean? I love you, uh, but I have to, you know, take you, put you in special ed because you're, and I have to punish you harshly. So Christianity, that type of Christianity made perfect sense to me because it was like, oh, I'm obviously a piece of shit, even though the person who loves me the most in the world, my mother, I'm a piece of shit when I do these things. I deserve to be hit. I deserve to cry and all these things. Here's God over here who's like, oh, yeah, by the way, um, if you don't believe the right things, you also deserve to burn in hell for eternity. So that was love to me. That was love. That's how love was displayed through, through you know, God. The ultimate love is like, oh, yeah, you're going to burn in fire forever. And you deserve that because we're born into sin. That's, you know, what that teaches. Um, my mother was like, oh, you spit on a recess lady. You're obviously, you know, I'm going to make you mentally abuse you and cry on the phone to your friend and say that you're probably, you know, the R word. Um, and so I had realized that because that's the type of love my mother's not only had received from the church, but also from their father, that love and um, love and suffering went hand in hand and love and brokenness went hand in hand with me. Uh, the Hokum model really should be um, if you're not suffering, you're not doing it right. Uh, well, and there's something you, you're saying here real quick too, because um, is that we talked about um, our grandfather burning my Aunt Wendy's stuff. My grandfather was an alcoholic who found Jesus, who basically did the same thing, flocked to something a new vice that gave that gave control and that gave dominance, and then he tried to impose that that strict religious belief on my mom and Corey her. Just called Jesus a vice. I just want to put. Well, that I, 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 you know what I mean, I know, and I know. So, so our you know, moms, you know our moms, defiantly, you know, rebelled against religion for the longest time. And then when so my my grandfather was, you know, like I'm praying for you still. He still loved his kids, but he just wouldn't like embrace them. Like he wouldn't give them the, the parent love they should have. And then our moms find Jesus. And all of a sudden it's like, Hey, welcome to the family. Welcome back. You know, he wants to be there. My grandfather once said he wouldn't walk any of his daughters down the aisle if they weren't Christian or married a Christian. My mom became a Christian and he, I think he was, I don't know. Did he walk your mom down the aisle? He walked my mom down the aisle because she was a Christian when she got married. And that this, this is just an example too, like of, of why our moms probably flocked to religion even more so because they were getting validation from their father that they had missed out on all those years. So I say all that and and um I, I say all that the reason I want to point out that kind of um it's not unconditional love, it's unconditional suffering. But what started to happen to me was um I started to equate love with abuse. And it, but so, and, and it's not physical abuse. It was when, when a relationship became toxic, 
like when somebody didn't like me or like maybe I was dating a girl who was really critical or someone who was really negative. Those are the relationships that I had the hardest time walking away from. The healthy relationships I would get bored in. But this girl who's showing disinterest or this girl who's really mean to me or this girl who's passive aggressive or pick whatever type of thing, it's like she's treating that me that way because she sees who I really am and who I really am deserves to be one put in hell for eternity and burn and deserves to be have the shit beat out of them. So I didn't even realize that that's what I was doing. But there needed to be um, conflict is the word I'm looking for. Um, If there wasn't conflict, then I didn't really felt I didn't feel seen. And I didn't feel like they really knew who I was. And that's such a weird fucking thing to to be like, if they're treating me well, they don't really see me because anyone who sees me wouldn't treat me well. And therefore, they don't love me. So I could never disconnect, you know, those things. Um, That's just a point that I that that I wanted to make that definitely contributed to my alcoholism, because what happens is um, the the voices of your mom or your abusers or that that narrative or the or the fiery brimstone preacher or any of that, those narratives, they they get seared into your psyche and they're always there. You know, you're always feeling not good enough. You're always feeling like. Um, when things are going well, you're, you're suspicious of them. So to calm that voice, I started to drink, but I actually didn't even start drinking until I was 21. Um, it, does anyone want to interrupt before I brush through my teenage years? No, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the teenage years. It's cause that's, that's like peak Justin right there. So, okay. So um, peak Justin, <laughs> go ahead. No. So peak Justin no. became a super Christian. And uh, I was pretty prodigious when it came to public speaking and, uh, and and just being center of attention. And I realized that everybody responds to trauma differently. I responded to trauma by storytelling and making people laugh because I realized that if I controlled the room, then I could calm everybody's emotions. So instead of running and hiding in a fantasy world, like reading books or being, or manifesting anger, or, you know, there's many different ways that people deal with their situation. I decided to become center of attention so I could control the attention directed towards me. And I, I does that make sense? Like, yeah, so, for sure. so, so it's like, if I could entertain my mother, she wouldn't be hitting me. If And let's spread that to the world. If I can hold everybody in the palm of my hand when I have a microphone, um, I'm I'm in control. So it was my way of entertaining people was my way of controlling people or my way of controlling the situation. So I became, you know, a prodigious preacher. I was, you know, traveling around playing in Christian bands. Um, I was uh, uh, leading people to Jesus, starting Bible studies, being groomed to be, you know, a preacher. Um, and I was super on fire for Jesus. And, uh, um, I don't know if Corey wants to throw in any memories or anything like that, that, that he remembers, but essentially, well, and let's, let's back up a second here. Uh, the, uh, the other thing, and, and it's, I almost didn't want to talk about this because again, I, I don't want the whole thing to be about just me telling the story, but I, I can say this, not only was my mother physically abusive, but my stepfather was sexually abusive to me up until I was 16. Um, uh, again, 
you know, content warning. Um, he never straight up like raped me, but it was definitely like when I was asleep, he'd come in and fondle and, and things like that. But um, I didn't really realize that he was doing that until later when there was finally the very last time it happened, I was completely awake, but it happened all the way up into the time I was 16. And because we were heavily involved in the church and things like that, it was very much God can use this to bring your family closer together. And, you know, everything happens for a reason, Justin. So there was never, hey, Justin, you probably should go get some therapy about this. It's you need to pray more. God will heal you. Take it away. Bring your family together. You have a testimony, all this stuff. Um, so uh, I was I was super Jesus-y all the way up until about 18, 19. And that's when I started to doubt. And I don't want this podcast to be about, or this episode to be about how I, you know, lost my faith. Basically, I just don't believe anymore. I'm not angry or anything like that. It just, it just wasn't for me. Well, I was going to say too, like, I, I don't, as somebody who believes, like, I don't feel offended by any means by what you're saying. This is part of your story though. This is part of your narrative. There are people. Cool. Corey, let me tell you why your God's not real. Uh, thing one. <laughs> no, no, I'm just no, but, but there's people out there who, who grew up like we did, who feel that way, you know? And I mean, this is just a perspective. Like I, like, I'm not like everything you're saying is great. So, so, well, and the reason I, I, the, and I, a caveat for anyone who's listening, the reason I don't want to be bashing religion is because processing your trauma is essential to be able to see the world through a healthier lens. And if, Religion is helping you genuinely process that trauma. If some or anything that I don't believe in is helping you process that trauma, I, I'm, you know, AA believes in God. I'm not telling anyone to stop going to AA. You know what I'm saying? So, but this is what I kind of wanted to get to. So, so just I was sexually abused till I was 16. It was dealt with poorly. I ended up dropping out of high school to focus on Jesus kind of full time. Uh, but then through a lot of other crazy tr drama in our family, in my personal life, I ended up just being in, in the world. And uh, so I was a childhood preacher who, you know, I played law. I would play in front of thousands of people when I was like a teenager, uh, Christian music and stuff like that. But here, here's where I want to kind of bring it back to the beginning. So crazy story, you know, uh, and I have a podcast actually coming out that we'll put in the show notes or whatever that talks more about that. So if anyone's interested, they can email me or, or talk to me about that. But here's the thing. And it touches on something Corey said earlier, and this is where I think we can kind of pivot out of, 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 uh, of just my personal story. And that is trauma. I'm not a professional. I want to say that. But one thing that I have seen anecdotally in my own life, and I've never seen it not proven true, trauma will manifest itself no matter what. But because I wasn't angry and because I wasn't sad, I didn't think my trauma was manifesting itself. And so I would drink, do drugs, party. I wasn't angry. I wasn't sad. Was my life together? Absolutely not. Was I in toxic relationships? Absolutely. Was I just making every cliche-ish mistake a, a musician in his 20s who was raised sheltered was doing? 
Absolutely. He did date a stripper for what it's worth too. So there. Like, yeah. Yeah. Did, did, did I think it was a good idea to date a stripper? Yes. I don't. There's shame. your trauma manifesting though. You well, say it wasn't, but. Yeah. Well, well, and here's the thing. It, I don't, I don't shame, you know, I don't shame sex workers um, because consenting adults can do what they want to do. That being said, was I drawn to people who probably had their own traumatic experiences and would naturally have to be emotion who maybe would have a tendency to be emotionally disconnected from me so that I could suffer in the relationship. So it felt like love. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So yes, it is manifesting. Um, and, and what would, what would happen is, and, and this is the analogy, and I, I, I you know, I, I want to hear your guys' thoughts, but this is the analogy that, that I used for my life. Um, when you break a bone, let's say you break your leg, um, you know, you, you put a cast on it, uh, but that's only if you go get help, if, only if you put a cast on it. If you just let it heal itself, oftentimes it will heal incorrectly. And you'll learn how to walk on a leg that isn't healed correctly. And then 10 years later, and again, we'll just say, say you broke your leg. It, it fractured, it healed wrong, it healed on its own, no big deal. You're starting to experience lower back pain. And somebody's like, you know, that might be from your leg. And you're like, no, my leg doesn't hurt. And it's not that your leg is still broken. It's that your leg was broken and it didn't heal correctly. And that that trauma is now manifesting in your lower back. So you're you think there's something wrong with your back. And then eventually, uh, you know, you're doing stretches, you're doing yoga, you're taking medicine, whatever. Eventually, when you go get help, whether that's through just counseling or friends or for the love of God, get real help because there are resources out there, the doctor will say, Hey, listen, there's nothing actually wrong with your lower back besides it's it's supporting your leg that has healed incorrectly. So what do they do? They re-break your leg. And that break actually can hurt worse than the initial break because there's not the adrenaline rush. And then the bone has to heal. And then you have to relearn to walk. And then your back, which has been compensating for your leg, that has to heal. I say all that to say I went through these crazy abusive situations. It did, I wasn't sad and I wasn't angry. So I was like, my legs healed. I'm fine. But it started manifesting itself in other ways. And I medicated those, those things through alcohol, which after 20 years of drinking ended up being like a fifth a day, I ended up in rehab where once I stopped drinking and stopped being in denial and really faced my things, I essentially rebroke myself and that fucking hurt. And then once I rebroke myself, I had to let that heal. And I've spent the last, actually Sunday was one year that I got out of rehab just a couple of days ago. I've spent the last year relearning how to walk from things that I didn't realize had left uh, tremendous amounts of scar tissue. I think that's a good spot for me to stop talking and, let you guys jump in. <laughs> it's it's an amazing metaphor or analogy. Um, really eye-opening. <laughs> it's very simple, but it makes so much sense. So I would love to hear, you know, now that 
you know, when you hit that breaking point and or your rebreak, essentially, what were some of the ways and things um, that you did to to start to heal properly? Yeah. So there's there's something really interesting that happened um, now. My my story is different because I'm single. I don't have any kids. Uh, I, I I was able to live by myself um, without working during quarantine and stuff like that. Um, there, you know. But regardless of of your situation, um, loneliness and boredom are not your enemy, and. I, that there's somebody out there who needs to hear that because loneliness and and people say there's no excuse for boredom. We have the entire internet. It's kind of like, why are you so uncomfortable with being bored? Why are you so uncomfortable with being alone? And so first of all, just detoxing, not just detoxing from alcohol, but just detoxing from situations um there are let letting yourself process things and sorry i i I lost my thought there for a second um there is there is something that i've learned that i would have only learned with time and 15 months isn't very long but it it's it's enough time just like it takes a bone, let's just continue with my cheesy analogy, just like it takes a bone, a certain amount of time to heal. It just takes time. Um, for, for anything, it just takes time and you have to sit with the pain and not medicate it. So when I got out of rehab, I had just gone through a breakup beforehand. I was very lonely you know, and I was desperately lonely. And I didn't think like, Oh, I want a girlfriend. I was just isolated. And I just had to power through it. Because your your body will adjust your mind will heal. I had to, you know, make healthy choices and things like that. And I, I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but things just take time. And we're so obsessed with hurrying up to convince because we're so insecure to be broken that I would be like, Oh my God, I'm over this breakup. Oh, I'm so over this breakup. Well, why do you keep talking about it then? Because I'm over it. And obviously I'm just so happy that I'm over it. And then you, you, you rush out to go get into another relationship or whatever, you know, and, and you just be, and you end up picking at that wound. You know what I mean? You just don't give yourself uh, the time to do that. So, and I know I'm harping on it, but like the biggest thing is slow the fuck down. Slow the fuck down. Um, Your trauma's not going anywhere. Uh, You don't need rushing to, Stephen Covey had an analogy that rushing is like, you know, planting a garden and then like going out two weeks later and trying to harvest it's like dude it just takes or weighing yourself before when you first go to the gym running there's a commercial run around the gym and then jump back on the scale and you don't see any changes it's like you have to give yourself some time um the uh, uh 
I'm also trying to think of your question was like, what, what things did I learn or like, what did I, what did well, I do? Well, yeah. What did you do? I mean, I think just the example of I, I sat with it is a, is a, a coping mechanism in itself and, and is a way of healing in itself. Well, it's more than a way of healing. It is, I, what you're saying is to me, the absolute most important thing is just we are obsessed. <laughs> I, I I say we, but I I really mean I. I was obsessed, but we are as a culture we're obsessed with, and this isn't new. This isn't anything breakthrough, but we're obsessed with a quick fix. So it's like I'm bored, whip out my phone. I'm lonely, jump on Tinder. Um, you know, we're a microwave uh, you know, society. Yeah, we're yeah, absolutely. We're we're a microwave. hungry. Put something in the microwave. <laughs> yeah, put something in the microwave. Um. Uh, my, my leg hurts, take some Advil. Well, you realize pain is there for a reason. It's to tell you that there's something wrong and it's a, and sometimes you just have to sit with it. Sometimes you just have to be bored. Sometimes you just have to be lonely because you're just giving yourself time to, to adjust. Um, and it's not, it's not that if you just sit there, everything is going to get better on its own. It's that it's not going to get better on its own if you don't make the space for yourself to process things. Um, we're so worried that we are our emotions. There's this really great quote that says, uh, you, you'll never stop the river, but you don't have to stand in it. And, and what that means is like, if, if, if you have a toothache, you don't say, hey, Corey, I'm, I'm a toothache today. You know what I'm saying? You say, I have a toothache or I have indigestion. But if you're sad, you say, I am sad today. But you're not your emotions. You, your emotions are just a thing. You know, we have random thoughts that pop up. We have random feelings that come up. So it's like, we're so, we're so afraid of feeling uncomfortable that we don't just pause and say, hey, maybe it's just time to step out of the river. And that doesn't mean turning on Netflix or, or doom scrolling. It means just giving yourself the time. Why do I feel bad? Fucking live in it. Like, am, why am I sad right now? What's the worst that can happen? Go play through your anxieties, let the river flow because it'll, it'll dissipate quicker than you realize. So that was the big thing was living in it. Um, I, I think that's really, really poignant because people do have this tendency um we're taught to, you know, especially our generation. I mean, and even though I'm six years younger than you, it's it's this idea of, you know, uh, you, you're fine. You know, pick, pick yourself up. You know, stop crying. You know, you know, brush the dirt off your knees and let's keep moving. And so there's this idea that um, that we just we need to push past it. Like um, I know I have, I have a stepdad who's in his 70s, and to his credit, he's always like, you can do anything you put your mind to. And he's a very driven person. But he's also like, you know, you can just just get up and do it. Not everyone's like that. Yeah. And it's some people, some people need to to stop, take a minute, and just let themselves let yourself be. You know. I see it so much with a lot of my friends. Is they are always like, I'm so busy, this and that. I'm like, we're all busy, um, but you're keeping yourself busy because you're avoiding something you don't want to deal with, and they're so afraid of dealing with it and what that's going to look like, that it is going to be a tougher time when they do finally look at it because they've put it off for so long and they are, are approaching it with so much fear and anxiety. And it's like, 
you haven't even tried to face it. <laughs> How about you stop filling your life with things that are not priorities and make yourself a priority and try to unpack what you're avoiding with all of your busyness. <laughs> well, that's a good point too. Cause Justin, to your credit, I mean, you, you had a lot of hurt. I mean, I, there's stuff that you're not even talking about that I know about, about you that yeah, you bit me. <laughs> he has a scar too. He'll, he'll show you later probably. Um, but he has these things that if he didn't confront that pain, like he could have said, okay, I'm just going to keep drinking. I'm going to keep, you know, doing whatever I need to, to, to keep myself away from, from facing my reality of what my life was like and the grief and the trauma I have, but you didn't, but you made the choice. It took, it took you a little while, Justin, I'll say that, but I mean, that's okay because you finally said, okay, this is where it stops. This is where I make the choice. This is where I, I sit and I let these things come at me and I, I deal with them because even though that pain sucks and it's shitty, the, the it, it's your life is way better off. I mean, just talking to you now and you're, you are still you, but I, I noticed there's a change. So well, and, I, I, sorry, I appreciate ahead, it. And I was going to say, I appreciate that. Go ahead, Jamie. Um, there's, there's something to be said about the fact that, uh, you know, like I said, I see, I see this with a lot of family and friends and, the thing about it is, is that it is out of my control. I am not in their body. I cannot make their choices for them. I can give them advice, but the only person that can make that decision is them. And, um, you know, it it is really amazing to watch people who finally make that decision for themselves, especially when you've been wanting it for them so badly, and then they do it. Like, you know, kudos to you for figuring it out and, and doing it, doing the work. Well, thank you. Th that actually, that actually uh, jumps to, I think the point that I, that I failed to, to make about giving yourself the time is that um, we tend to think it's an all or nothing thing. I'm either because we don't realize that our, our grief and our trauma. Um, and I know I've been talking more about trauma than grief, but um Gr being able to grieve in a healthy way is part of the coping process, you know, the healing process from trauma. Um, and uh, so, so when I, when I talked about giving yourself the time, um, it wasn't it when I was saying like, okay, yeah, why did I drink all the time? You know, you, it's like, it's not just about stopping and drinking. It's about figuring out why you drank all the time or what, or, and so, you know, insert instead of say drinking, why I'm a workaholic or why I, whatever you do, that is your unhealthy coping mechanism. Well, I'm unhappy. Are you unhappy? You know, and for me, it was, there's a narrative in my head. This never stops. That internal monologue never stops in, in that in drinking, shut it off in a way that allowed me to, uh, that allowed me to, uh, not hear it. It shut it off and, and I could be quote unquote functional. Um, but what would, so when I stopped drinking, that narrative came back and it's like these fucking voices in my head. And again, I'm not, I'm not talking about, uh, like being mentally ill I'm talking about just like thoughts that I have about myself or, you know, anxieties or fears. Well, you start unpacking 
and you know you talk to a professional who can help you unpack them counselor you know i'm pretty reflective so i journaled a lot of this but what it started to happen was i gave myself the time to unpack that because of the trauma i was able to connect the dots of my relationship with my mom to my relationship with my exes, to my relationships, to my job, to how I viewed myself, because ultimately what you're doing is you're, you're, uh, unpacking your relationship with you. And, mm. you know, it's, there's like a, there's a scene and there's a classic scene in good will hunting where, um, uh, Robin Williams just keeps saying, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Matt Damon, not you, man, starts crying. <laughs> and, you know, it's a moving scene, but you're like, I know it's not my fault that my mom hit me. Like, yeah, she chose to do that. And you're like, of course, it's not my fault. But then you start realizing that you're acting like it is still. You're still living in a way that that excuses other people's abuse and more importantly, excuses your own self-abuse. And so it takes time to do that. It takes time to realize that, um, and, and, you know, it, it takes time to realize that something that looks healthy could be just unhealthy compensation, you know, and only you can really know that I'm not, I'm not going to point to like, you guys go to the gym too much or whatever. I'm not trying to trying to give any red flags to certain activities um but yeah it, it's the it's the digging deep and finding that perspective you're only as good as the lens through which you see the world and buffing that lens out is tricky and you'll you know you get some perspective and here's the thing um we talked about forgiving other people uh understanding why you did things allows you to truly forgive yourself and forgiving yourself because we're so quick to forgive other people. A lot of people are, but you're like, I knew what I was doing. You know, I, I knew what I was doing because even if you, you know, not everybody takes responsibility, but you're just like everything I've ever done. I did on purpose. I'm a piece of shit, but it's like, did you really know though? Did you really realize why you were doing that? Did you did when when I dated someone for four years who was like most people who meet her would say, "Oh, she's the ideal person to be with, nicest human being on the planet, great family." Why was I never comfortable in that relationship? And of course, I was never going to be comfortable in a healthy relationship. There was no conflict, therefore, it didn't feel like love to me. It didn't, you know, and and so it's like all of a sudden I can forgive myself and work on that in the future. Again, I kind of feel like I'm rambling, but that it's, uh, yeah, taking the time. I didn't get help for the things I needed help with because I was so afraid of losing what I had. And the ironic thing or the catch 22 is until you get help, you don't really have the things you think you have. You don't have the relationships you think you have. You don't have the job, the existence you think you have. You're holding on and bear with me because I'm not talking about being a dad or being a, a partner, but you're holding on to nothing. I was holding on to nothing for, for a very long time. And uh, I was so 
desperate to prove to everybody that I was fine. And again, mostly if you, if you don't get help, you will lose those things anyway. And you can, you can lose things without having those things leave you. You know what I mean? So it's like, you can't, that doesn't mean you're going to get a divorce, but you don't really have the marriage that you think you have, or you don't have the job or you don't have, you don't have um, the relationship with reality that you could have. And to do that, you know, get some help, um, whether that is just calling a friend because you're sad or you're struggling, you know, with drugs and alcohol or, or whatever. Um, because shit will heal wrong and you, and, and the un, you know, it's easier to, uh, it's easier to sew up an open wound than to cut through scar tissue. So that's, that's my thing. Your fears are unfounded. And after 15 months of sobriety, I, for the first time in my life can say that I'm at peace with who I am. I'm happy. And, uh, yeah, I didn't, I, I'm blown away. I'm blown away by how much, um, I, 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 I get excited to go to bed because I'm excited to wake up in the morning and I've never really been able to say that. So that's the, You're okay. Good. So now, now you, yes! cross, now you cross the I was yeah. like, this would be the first episode. Jamie doesn't cry. Because no, this, this is so beautiful. <clears throat> it's so beautiful. Justin, like, thank you. <laughs> it was that was so well put but uh one thing we talk about at the end of every episode we have we have this mantra on the podcast and it's grief is and we have our guests finish the sentence so for you what would you say grief is it can be a it can be a sentence it can be a simple word whatever you want to say God, I, I'm so sorry. I'm what I'm trying not to do. Ask me the question again, and I'll just I'll I'll say the first thing that comes to mind. Grief is absolutely necessary. That's perfect. That is exactly beautiful. And, mm-hmm. It's it's inevitable. It's necessary. It's it's going to happen to you on some level in your life, no matter. So that's that's really profound, Justin. Um, so you said you have a new podcast coming out. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yes. Please tell us. I was thinking the same thing. It's not out yet, but um, it's going to be called the Broken Compass Podcast. And it's uh, uh, the Broken Compass Podcast, uh, how I got lost in the songs I found along the way. And um, I'll just take a couple minutes to explain it. Uh, so I have a, I have a, a couple EPs coming out this spring. Um, ergo, you can see the, well, you guys can see the recording studio behind me. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to do was, um, kind of to introduce myself to the world, uh, new sober Justin was to take like 10 or 20 songs that, uh, really, uh, impacted me, not my own songs, but songs that made me want to write music for a living and uh so like the very first episode is called let it be uh, which is the beatles song let it be first time i heard it i was six years old driving around with my uh my uncle and so i tell the story of growing up uh being babysat by my british grandfather and um 
but I also talk, so I, I weave stories of trauma and heartache and, and all, you know, the stories that some of the, I told you some of the stories, but then I also talk about what that, how that song was a shelter for me or how it made me feel. And then, so I talk about my, my history in relation to that song. And then I do a, a, a interesting performance of it. Um, so that'll be my thing, but here's the thing, the goal after I get my story out of the way, um, there are hundreds and thousands of podcasts about stories behind the songs, but uh, about but it's always about the writer. Mm -hmm. um, I want to collect stories from ordinary people about extraordinary songs. So I would be like, Jamie, tell me about what song. Tell me, tell me a, a significant story in your life, and tell me a song that got you through that. That means a lot to you. Oh, so I that, love that. So what I'll do is I'll take Jamie's story because I, I I'm pretty I think I'm a pretty good orator and storyteller, and I'll be like, you know, back in 2007 in Florida, blah blah blah. You know, so it's like <laughs> kind of like a like someone's telling like half NPR, half journalistic, even kind of interview Jamie or whatever. It's like gonna be awesome. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 stories. Um, because I, I I feel like there's two there's two sides to there's two sides to the story of every song. One is how the song came to be, but the other story is your story. What makes you know what makes "Open the Eyes of My Heart" Corey's favorite praise and worship song? You know what 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 makes you say that? But you don't know how much I can't stand that song. You what no makes you know why does Corey still have a plus one poster hanging up in him and Julie's bedroom? Why does he like Christian boy bands? There's reasons behind it. Yes. Um. But no. So so that's that's it's that is going to be launched January, February, March. I January, February, March. That's going to be launched around April. So stay tuned. I. You know, this episode actually is going to launch pretty close. By the time this episode airs, it'll probably be March, I think. But um, yeah, thanks for coming on. <laughs> it's it's been it's good to see you. I actually haven't seen you in I don't even know how long. So um, I'm trying to think. I th I think that the uh, the very last time it was a funeral probably. Yeah, I think it was Tiger's funeral. It was the very last time when you freaked Darlene out by uh, no, making. No, it, it was Richie. It was Richie's funeral. Yeah, there was a lot of funerals that year. Your mom. Oh my God. So just just a what? Just one more quick thing. Just so, um, when uh, when when so uh, Corey's mom had died, you know, years ago, and then our uncle Tiger and my mom died of ALS in the same year, six months apart. Tiger was our uncle. Yeah. And uh, so when I went to when we went into Tiger's funeral, our grandmother, because, uh, you know, Corey's mom had died and now Tiger had died. She grabbed me by the hand. I'm like, hi, Mima. And she looks at me and she's like, it's always the beautiful ones. It's always the most beautiful children that die first. She's like, my beautiful babies died first. And my and I'm just like, well, your ugly children are standing right over there. I'm <laughs> Hi. Um, oh yeah, my, my grandma was a piece of, and I'm just like, oh my God in heaven, the beautiful ones died first. I was like, mom, you're ugly. <laughs> I anyway, remember the story. Oh my God. That's, I have to tell a story. I'll tell when, yeah, I'll tell a story about Corey when we're off air. Thank you for, thank you for having me guys. Yeah, it's been great. Um, thank you. It really has been. You're a great speaker. Oh, thank you. Putting us to shame. I'm way too over caffeinated. I'm looking at myself in the video screen. I'm like, you're turning so red. And I'm just like, 
Jesus. So anyway. Yes. Well, thank you for being here. And everyone, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Emotional Duct Tape. Uh, We will talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 